It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live, Psy Tech Talk, taking the God story to a geeky place. Here's Michelle. Hey, we're going to be talking about life today on My Michelle Live. Big news that's been going on all over concerning when does life begin? I'll give you an example of the tension in this issue. A circuit judge in Kentucky, Mitch Perry, blocked a pair of state abortion laws in part because he said that they adopt a Christian and Catholic belief about when life begins. He said they adopt this view and this view is embraced by some, but not all religious traditions. Life begins at the moment of conception. It's a Christian and Catholic thing, and it singles out and endorses one doctrine, one faith over another, preferred treatment. So the question that I'm going to ask based on that today, and we'll see if we can get to the answer for you, is what is truth? Is there a Christian version of truth and another kind of truth? Is truth relative, in other words? Is it being uh, balanced when you say, we're going to omit that kind of truth because it tramples on the rights of another kind of truth? That's question number one. Question number two is there an argument for life outside of that faith realm? What about science? Which truth is consistent with science? We're going to ask, when does life begin? And we're going to do it with an old friend, a philosopher, theologian, and senior research scholar at Reasons. And now, Reasons to Believe. Reasons to Believe is an organization that examines biblical truth and science. Kenneth Richard Samples is the author of this book. And we'll make sure that you can see it if you are watching the video at My Michelle Live or wherever you may be viewing it. But this book is one of his many books, A World of Difference, where you look at Christian truth claims to the worldview test. So perfect as we talk about the subject today. Kenneth, high five, buddy. It's good to see you. Good to see you, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing well. Crazy times. I'm going to even apologize for those who are watching on video. I went to the dentist this morning and I still have droopy face. So if I <laughs> drool all over myself, I don't know, maybe it'll go viral. We'll see. <laughs> Ken, this has been a, an Interesting time, because we're looking at, even in courts, people saying, yeah, truth is, isn't it? Is there a kind of a Christian kind of truth? You talk about that in this book a little bit, the Christian truth or the this Christian worldview, this Christian view of science, knowledge, or rather truth, knowledge, and history is like chapter five in, in this book, A World of Difference. So it's very pertinent to the question of the day, isn't it? Yeah, very much. We're living in what I would call a postmodern, post-truth, post-Christian kind of culture. For centuries, Michelle, people believed that they believed in what we call in philosophy a correspondence view of truth. All that means is if I have a, an idea of truth in my mind, 
and that idea corresponds or matches with reality, then I know the truth. If I believe one plus one equals two, and that matches reality, then I know it. It is in our modern period where people have begun talking about subjective ideas of truth or subjective ideas of goodness. It's a strange thing that people would challenge those issues, but it's not just Christianity that believes that truth corresponds to reality. That's the way all of Western thinkers have thought for virtually 2,000 years. There's nothing wrong with challenging truth, though. Even God says, and the name of your organization, their reasons to believe, uh, alludes to it, uh, come let us reason together. God's yeah. not afraid to be, he says, test me, try me, prove me in one portion of scripture. God's not afraid of a little bit of challenge. The Bereans, for example, the Bereans were a people in an area. And when they were presented with the gospel, they're going, yeah, right on. That's awesome. But we're going to go back and we're going to just check the scriptures. We're going to dig into this a bit and see if this stuff is real. We're not just going to take your word for it, buddy, just because you're all anointed and stuff. And God, they were commended for that. So God's not afraid of a little pushback. God's not afraid of saying, oh, OK, so why should we be? No, that's a great point. The Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. Why were they more noble? Because they checked sources. Paul was preaching out of the Old Testament. They opened up their Tanakh, the Hebrew Old Testament. They want to make sure, hey, has this guy got his facts straight? Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about test all things, hold on to that which is good. I think that is not only something that the Bible accepts, that's really a principle of science. Boom. Uh, we're going to look at things. We're going to test them, evaluate them. We're going to draw the conclusion that's based upon reality and truth. Yeah. So maybe as we have this conversation today, and it's a big one, and I asked the folks there at Reasons, hey, can we take this on? And they're like, yeah, bring it, right? And so they send me kin samples. They bring out the big guns here. We're going to be looking at it maybe from science and from from scripture, because there's a, a, I've gotten some emails that I wanted to respond to, not only with this show, but I'll respond one on one as well, saying the Bible says that life begins at breath. And I base it on Genesis 2 7, where it says the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground. They, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. That's when he became alive when he took that first breath. Thus, when a baby takes its first breath, that is when they are alive. It seems medieval to me that people have this mindset. I'm sorry for being judgmental in that, but it's hard for me to wrap my head around. And we'll talk about why in a minute. Another scripture that kind of alludes to that is Job 33, 4, the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Ken, I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, I think that's simply a misunderstanding of those biblical texts. Genesis 2-7 is a very important verse. It talks about Adam's being created by God, and God, and the Lord takes the dust of the ground and the breath of life, that is the being made in the image of God, and Adam becomes a living being. Now, to compare that to human beings that are born— is very different. Different from the standpoint that 
human life begins at the conception of that life. The idea is that at conception, a person becomes a human person, and they have all of the qualities and characteristics of being human. Now, they're growing. They're a human person growing. But these particular passages are are speaking of the idea that God is the ultimate author of life, but those passages don't say that's when life begins no, indeed, for in, a baby in the womb. Adam wasn't even animated. The baby in the womb is growing, at least. There's where you right. see growth, there's some there's often some kind of life. If you were to take that literally, then God would have to come down and physically breathe into every being before they were actually alive. It you mentioned and those are really the only two places in scripture and even the Job one doesn't say, even really say breath, the first breath is life. Neither of these do. It just says that God breathed into Adam. Got that. These are the only two scriptures, but there are dozens of scriptures that give other views of when life begins. Uh, Jeremiah 1, 5 says, before I formed you in the womb, before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you. Psalm 139 says, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Galatians 1, 15, but God who set me apart from my mother's womb called me by his grace. And it goes, I could go on and on, and we'll put these on our website. Ken, but if you were really trying to look at the Bible, and I commend people who say the Bible even says, thank you for looking at the Bible as an authoritative uh, subject yeah. matter, uh, uh, something that you can pull authority from in this matter. But this is really what the Bible says, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And there, there are times people misread the text, but the Job passage, the Genesis passage, is the original creation of Adam, but the passages in Jeremiah and Psalms talks about the Lord has placed us in our mother's womb. And so the idea there would be that we have life as we are conceived. And Michelle, there's even differing views about how the soul comes forth. Some people would say God creates a brand new soul for each baby that is conceived. There, there is a, another view called traducianism, and it says, many Christians have held it, it's the idea that the soul, just like the body, comes from the parents. So Christians have thought about these issues for centuries, but the idea that life would begin at any other time for a human being other than conception, that's a deeply confused viewpoint. Indeed, and even where the Bible talks about the value of life in the womb. Exodus 21, isn't it, where they talk about violence against a woman, and if there is injury to a pregnant woman, in verse 24, it is where that famous phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, comes from. If the baby isn't injured, okay, then we can discuss punishment. But if the baby is injured or killed, that's where it's like a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This is another scripture that would talk about the preciousness of life in the womb. Exactly. And the underlying Jewish and Christian idea is that all people, regardless of the color of their skin, 
regardless of the nation of origin, all human beings are created in the image of God, and they therefore have inherent dignity and value. Whether they're unborn, whether they're 89 years old, regardless of the conditions, all human beings have value and dignity. And Michelle, that's what put a stop to slavery. That's what changed culture. The Bible gives human beings dignity because of their connection to God. Interesting that you mentioned slavery, because in my opinion, this is the human rights issue of our time. Camilla Harris has been out talking about this issue, and she compares carrying a baby to slavery. I'm a slave to this baby. Trust me, in in one regard, as a mom, you can often feel that way throughout their entire life. I'm not going to lie about that. But really, in, in all honesty, you mentioned that a biblical worldview is what put a stop to slavery, that there were people that were standing up against the going ideas. And the arguments, Ken, are very similar to the arguments that are being perpetuated where abortion is concerned. My body, my choice. It's my plantation, my choice. It's my slave, my choice. I own this. This is mine. It's my choice. It's science. They're not the same. Just look at them. They're different. They're not human. From an economic standpoint, if we don't own them, uh, they'll end up on the street. If we don't kill them, they'll end up on the street or abort them, if that's too harsh of a word. From the compassion standpoint as well, it's simply protecting them. From the privacy standpoint, it's my choice, not yours. Or the inev- inevitability that slavery has always been around, and it always has been. Abortion has always been around. We may as well do it in a manner that's safe and legal, right? So there's a lot that the Bible and its quote-unquote truth has done to venerate life because a consistent worldview really does make a difference. Ken? Yeah, if you look back, Michelle, to the Greco-Roman world, think of the first century where Jesus is born. And by the way, Jesus has a human nature. He's born in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the dignity of humanity. God took a human nature and was born. That's a statement about the, the integrity and the goodness of being human beings. But let me make a comment about the Greco-Roman world. Michelle, when Jesus came into the world, the Greeks and the Romans didn't think that women had equal rights with men, and children had virtually no rights at all. You could even drop your child off if you didn't want it, and it would either be taken by somebody else or would be there to die. It's Christians who come along and say, no, let's build orphanages for children who have no parents. Let's build hospitals for people who are suffering. the rapid growth of Christianity is dependent upon this idea that Jesus taught that people really matter. We we hear that word a lot these days, but that's what Jesus taught, that people really matter. Why? Because they're not an accident. They come from the hand of God. So this is the Christian biblical worldview on life and when life begins. And as you mentioned, there's a a load of scripture 
that backs up that claim. When you look at Scripture, you look at the consistency of Scripture, you look at Old Testament, New Testament, and there is a harmony. You can read things in context, and as we do, it is conclusive that life begins, you say, at conception, correct? Yes, absolutely. To say that to say that Christians or Roman Catholics, pro-life people, if you will, that they have one view, no, science indicates that life begins at conception. Okay. And uh, the Bible, when it's read carefully, when it's read clearly, we realize that these lives come from the hand of God. And, uh, you know, they need to be preserved. They need to be protected. Uh, again, it's the pagan worldviews that said, children don't have any value. It's only Roman citizens that have value. Christians came along and changed all that, and they challenged slavery. And of course, Michelle, if you don't believe people are made in the image of God, then what argument do you bring against slavery, against human trafficking, against all of these terrible things that are done to human beings? That's a very good point. Think about that for just a moment. When we look at the harmony, as I mentioned, in Scripture. There's also a harmony of Scripture and science, which is really the reason behind reasons to believe, is looking at the harmony of the scientific world with a biblical worldview. And and in that, something phenomenal you mentioned is that we have in our bodies, in inside the womb, all that we are, the color of our skin, the color of our eyes, per, some of our personality, some of who we are, because now we know through science that it's programmed in our DNA. Absolutely. And this is, it boggles the mind, the complexity, the detail that is involved in the formulation of life, the growth of human persons. And this, of course, is the idea that God ha has his word in Scripture, but he has also made a world. We call that the book of nature. It's where God's works are seen. Christians have deep respect or should have deep respect both for God's word and for the world that God made. And science is just a very effective way of studying nature. So when we look at the world of science, the world of nature, we'll let's delve deeper into that question, when does life begin? How do we know through science when life begins? What we see, Michelle, is that maybe 20, 30 years ago, people were questioning whether the fetus in the womb of the mother was even human. It's just a it's just a collection of cells. It's not really human. But well, embryology no and the ability to... No offense, Ken, but so are you. Yeah, that's, that's right. Absolutely. The idea that science could put a window on the womb and actually see the growth of that human person within. In philosophical circles where we debate these issues, Michelle, it's no longer debated whether the unborn is human. The question is, is it a person? Now, that's where the Christian worldview comes in and says, look, it's not a being that's growing toward personhood. Rather, it's a 
human person that is undergoing growth and development. That's where the standing is. But I think science has confirmed so much that the baby in the womb is human. That's largely taken for granted. So the study of science, the study of uh, place, placing a window on the womb and being able to watch the growth of that human person has really won the day, I think, in many respects. We are all a person under development. I am a completely different person than I was when I was seven or 17 or 27. I'm just going to stop there because I could keep going. (laughs) I'm a completely different person. My development is different. See, this is, again, that worldview. If your worldview is doesn't follow to its logical end. If it breaks down, if it conflicts, then you need to re-examine your worldview. Because if life is only, if your life only has value, your personhood only has value at a certain point of development, when does it stop? Do we become Logan's run? And once everyone turns 30, we just put them down because they no longer have value. They're not real people anymore. That, that's exactly right. There is a bioethicist philosopher at Princeton University, Peter Sanger. He says that children don't have self-awareness as quickly as farm animals. He says that child, parents ought to have two years to decide whether they want to euthanize their baby or not. Th- this is, again, the idea. I, I have friends who have relatives who are undergoing dementia but see, the Christian worldview would say those are still persons. They still have dignity and value. They may have problems in the brain, but that doesn't remove their personhood. It doesn't remove the image of God. Whether you're a baby or whether you're 95 years old, that dignity comes from coming forth from the Lord. And without that, we see secular ideas, we see postmodern ideas that I think are very destructive. Good that you mentioned destructive. I'll get to that in a moment. But I think it also speaks to who we are as a people. If my great aunt Martha has dementia and she no longer recognizes herself or is self-aware, is she no longer a person? And can I rip her body apart with out worry can no because as a person right. as people we one as a christian worldview recognize she's created in the image of god she's a god image bearer there is something inherently precious and it says something about who we are when we not only value life, but we value it in its most vulnerable state, even if you didn't agree with the idea that life begins at conception, it elevates us to a better place when we say, but you know what, let's just recognize it as a developing human and venerate life and choose something greater. It makes us, it puts us in a better place. The early Christians created orphanages to care for the vulnerable children. Even, Michelle, the word hospice is a Christian invention. Christians looked at the elderly who were aging, who were dying. They said, these people need to be cared for. They need to be comforted. They need to be encouraged. That's one of the reasons why Christianity flourished, was essentially their idea of the value and dignity of human life grounded in the image of God. 
You mentioned Princeton, and I will put this up on screen and a link for those listening. From Princeton U, here's the link, talking about when life begins, and it is a collection of ideas from people in the academia world that say that life begins at fertilization. That's when something is happening. That's when life is developing. This is when life begins. And this is Princeton itself. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, you've made the point, and I think it's a powerful one, Michelle, that this is driven by worldview. A, a very fundamental question you want to ask to understand where somebody's coming from is, what worldview do you hold? What, what is your view of God? What is your view of the natural world? And maybe as important as your view of God, what is your view of human beings? Worldview ideas are critical, and today we have a clash of worldviews. We do indeed. And looking at where your worldview plays out and the effects of it, you alluded to that the choices that we make have consequences. And I would argue that when we take life and we diminish it, it plays out in the rest of our society. And can we not see it by the way we treat each other? I cited, have cited before a study within three prison systems where they asked men, were you involved in an abortion? And many of the vast majority said, yeah, I paid for one or my girlfriend or wife had one. And they said, did it affect you? And overwhelming majority, I'm in the 90s, said, yes, it did. It hurt me. It made me think that if I'm supposed to protect, that's a man's job. But if I don't even care about my own child, what do I care about robbing and killing and maiming and murdering you? I, I think you raise a very daunting question. Where do we, if we're not going to stand up for the vulnerable, if we're not going to stand up for a, a child in the womb, if we're not going to stand up for people who have Alzheimer's, where do we place our value system? And yes, that's absolutely correct. And to say that human beings are autonomous, that we have control, this is, again, I think a very secular way of thinking about these issues. So Christians need to educate themselves. They need to not only study scripture, but they need to understand where people are coming from. So thinking, studying, reflecting, that honors God and it gives strength to our witness. So conclusively, you would say to the answers, the two questions that we asked today, when does life begin from a biblical worldview and a scientific worldview, what would you say the conclusion you've come to is? Science indicates categorically that life begins at conception, and Scripture agrees with that perspective. Again, the passages that were cited from Genesis and Job, uh, that's a misreading. The creation of Adam is different than human beings being born of their mothers. Yeah, that's different than anything, like, ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Right>? yes. <laughs> so... 
we can say that there's harmony between science and the Bible, that this is what the Bible teaches, and this is why people stand firm. Now, I know that it's a difficult thing to hear because people who have been involved in abortions feel like, great, so you're calling me a murderer. You know, this is the hard thing. The Bible says that if I look on a woman with lust in my heart, I've already committed adultery. We can call hate the sin of murder. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And I'm not here to point my finger at you and to say that you're ugly because I've got all these other fingers pointing back at myself. And as Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners, really. I am so messed up that I have no business trying to point a finger at you and saying how bad you are. But what I can say is there is truth and that truth sets us free. And if I can come to the foot of the cross and worship before a risen savior and say, you took my sin and I can be set free because of who you are. There is such liberty in that. And I wanted to bring it home to that because I'm going to say that scientifically, Ken, we can say life begins at conception, but spiritually, life begins at salvation. Amen. That's, you know, C.S. Lewis said we need to be willing to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. And yeah. that, that message of salvation is when life really begins. That's powerful. I can't thank you enough for joining me. I really do recommend uh, taking a gander at this book. While you don't address the issue of when life begins specifically, uh, talking about uh, biblical worldviews extensively in this book and how they lay out and how they line up and how they compare really sets your mind free because you realize there is a truth that sets you free. I'll give you the final word. Yeah, I appreciate your focus on worldview. It's our big picture view of reality. It's how we make sense of the world. And the Bible gives us a unique view of God, a unique view of human beings, our brokenness, our need for a savior. So thinking worldviewishly, I think is very valuable, especially today. Thank you, Ken. And thank you for being part of our show today. If you have gleaned something, like us, share us, and please subscribe. It helps to propel what we're doing and get it in front of more people. If you didn't and you have some questions and you think, oh, they've gotten it wrong. And what about this? You didn't mention this scripture or that idea. Bring it up because we're here. If God says, come, let us reason, then you can reason with us as well. Thanks again. We'll catch you next time. More SciTech Talk at MyMichelleLive.com.